Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church to do lifestyle ministry. We pray it will help you as well. All right, well, uh, good evening, everybody. I apologize for the music, but we were having fun before we got started. So uh, I work for Miracle Hill. Travis asked me to come and talk about what all we do at Miracle Hill, our philosophy for doing ministry, and then offer kind of a challenge towards the tail end. So some of you know a lot about Miracle Hill, and this will be old information, and some of you know very little. I'm going to guess that some of you overcomers don't know a lot about Miracle Hill other than what's going on in the Overcomer Center. So who thinks they know a lot about Miracle Hill? It is a trick question. All right, who thinks they can name what all we do? All right, well, hopefully by the end of the evening, you guys will have much better understanding of everything we do, why we do it, how we came to be, and then um, how we feel like God has equipped us and called us to serve in the upstate. So as we get started, you'll see up on the screen, it says a hand up, not just a handout. That's kind of the summary of our philosophy of how we help people, that we don't want, just want to give to people that need something, but we actually want to put our hand out, help them up, and help them to make different decisions for their life. But how in the world did Miracle Hill get started? Well, in 1937, a bunch of local Christian businessmen and women saw a lot of needs uh, here in the upstates. What was going on in 1937? Right, coming out of the Depression. And there wasn't enough services to help people. And so these Christian business people gathered together to form a soup kitchen. The first and most important thing you need to notice, I didn't say a bunch of local pastors. I didn't say a bunch of local churches. I said local individuals who were certainly members of churches, but who felt that God had laid it on their heart to help their neighbors. And that's an important point that we've been learning a lot about over the last few months at Miracle Hill and at Rocky Creek. So these individuals said, hey, we're going to start a soup kitchen. So they started that soup kitchen kind of uh, underneath the idea of Matthew 25, 40. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So the soup kitchen opened up in downtown Greenville, and over the next few years, there was many, many people who came in for a meal and left knowing who Jesus was. During the, same, during the 1940s, same group began a small men's shelter in downtown Greenville, and we have existed in downtown Greenville on West Washington Street since then. The current Greenville Rescue Mission is the third uh, iteration of a rescue mission on West Washington Street. It's just kind of moved down the street as it's gone. If you look at the bottom left-hand corner of the, uh, of the slide, you'll see a house with some ladies and some kids. So one night there in the late 1940s, the police came and knocked on the front door of the rescue mission and they said, um, hey, we know that this is a men's shelter, but do you guys take children? We've got these orphan kids. And the lady who answered the door that evening said, absolutely. 
And so a couple of kids came in, and within a year, they had 60 kids in that house, that house you see up there on the screen. They had kids in beds and on the floor and in the closets, everywhere that they could put a kid because there was that much need for help. Um, That ultimately resulted in us creating a children's home up in Pickens. And during the 50s and 60s, there was actually a children's home choir, so overcomers. You guys are an extension of that children's home choir. It was the children's home choir for like 40 years, and now it's the overcomers choir. The difference is that's a record uh, down there on the bottom right-hand corner. I've got a copy of it in my office of those kids in the 1960s. Uh, Some of you young people probably don't even know what a record is, right? Never seen one? Yeah? Okay. So let's kind of summarize that. So there is a reality where Miracle Hill should not exist. So prior to the Great Depression, who took care of all social services worldwide? The church. The church took care of all needs, orphans, widows, homeless, hungry. It was the church that stepped in the gap. During the, de- the Great Depression, the system got overrun. There was too many needs, and that's when the federal government decided to step in and say, hey, we'll help. So it results in the Social Security Act and welfare are as a result of that scenario. And what happened over the next few years is that the federal government kept on taking steps forward to help people, and the church kept, kept taking steps backwards. That's how we got to where we are today. The reality is, if the church, Big C Church, was doing what it should be doing, Miracle Hill would not exist. Now, I believe Miracle Hill exists as an extension of the local church. I believe that uh, everything that we do is on behalf of our partner churches like Rocky Creek and 150 other churches here in the upstate. But the reality is it never should have happened to begin with. Isn't that interesting? Every year, $410 billion or around that uh, mark is given. It's typically about 2.3% of GDP in the nation. Uh, The giving increases, but it stays stable as a percentage of GDP. Um, $287 billion of that comes from people. Now, what entity gets the largest amount, right? So that's a wheel of a a graph of different entities that get the chunk of that charitable giving. Who gets the biggest chunk? The church. The church gets the biggest chunk. Who gets the second biggest chunk? Schools. Schools get the second biggest chunk. And then the chunks get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to the category that Miracle Hill fits in, uh, which is a very, very, very small fraction of a percent. But the vast majority of the money that is given to Miracle Hill comes from the church, not the church specifically, but the people within the church. Many of you in this room are givers to Miracle Hill, and we couldn't do what we do. It should be noted that if every church attending Christian in the United States were to give a 10% tithe, 
homelessness, hunger would end worldwide in a year. So Travis will tell you it's a small percentage of the church, people that go to church every Sunday, that actually give a 10% tithe, somewhere between 10 and 20%, depending on where you get your data. If that was to grow by five or 10 times, you see that 410 billion, it would quadruple or grow by five, it would be, turn into trillions of dollars that would flood to help people in need. I'll also note on that before we get back to Miracle Hill, that if every church in South Carolina would foster or adopt one more kid, DSS would cease to have children in care. Every church only has to do one more kid. Not everybody in church, every church. There's more churches in South Carolina than there are kids in the foster care system. So we exist that homeless children and adults receive food and shelter with compassion, hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and move towards healthy relationships and stability. Like I said, we do that on behalf of the local church. And today, God has grown our ministry, so it's rather large. Uh, we'll look at the footprint here in a minute. We have four shelters here in the upstate, the Greenville Rescue Mission and Shepherd Gate, Shepherd's Gate in Greenville, Spartanburg Rescue Mission in Spartanburg, obviously Cherokee County Rescue Mission in Cherokee. We have two addiction recovery programs, Overcomers for Men and Renewal for Women. We have uh, 15 transitional houses for a total of 85 transitional beds in single-family homes. Uh, so all total on the left-hand side of the slide, there's anywhere to uh, 600 people in our care on any given night. Now, when the temperature drops to 40 degrees or below, we don't close the doors in our shelters, and it can easily increase by 100 or 200 more people. We also partner with uh, 100, or, I'm sorry, 250 foster families, and right now we have about 150 children in care. Up in Pickens, uh, we have a foster care community, and let's go down to the bottom of it, and I'll explain why. Over the past year and a half, we have had to close our Miracle Hill Children's Home, our Miracle Hill Boys Shelter, and our Miracle Hill Homes for Life, which were our residential homes for children. Now, why in the world would we be forced to close these things? Well, there's been a lot of law changes here in the past few years. So there's a lawsuit in South Carolina called the Michelle H. Lawsuit. And on top of that, President Trump signed a law called the Family First Protection Services Act, which essentially says that all the money, all the resources that go to helping kids is now going to keep kids in their home. So while before, if a kid was hurt uh, or in trouble, DSS would step in and pull the kid from the home and now the money is going to prevention services, keeping the kids in the home. Now, philosophically, we agree with that, right? We, we love the idea that kids get to stay in their home and the family is stable, but the reality is that they're keeping kids in the home often when they really should be pulled from their home until the home can become safe. What happened was, um, as the laws changed, we're also under licensure to maintain a certain level of staffing. So let's use the boy shelter as an example. The boy shelter was licensed for 20 beds. They required us to have around 24 staff members to manage 20 beds. Okay, that's fair. 
The last year, we had on average anywhere from four to six boys at any given time. Four to six boys, and we had to pay 25 staff members. It became a model that was impossible to operate. And so residential children's home, homes across the state are closing. So what have we done in response to that? We are doubling down on foster care. So as it stands right now, the laws uh, require the kid to stay in the home. If the kid can't stay in the home, they go to kinship care, which is grandma, aunt, uncle, brother, somebody like that. And if they can't go there, then they go into a traditional foster home. So up in our children's home in Pickens, we transitioned to a foster care community, which is essentially um, we took the cottages and we just invited foster parents to come live in those cottages if they would agree to take five teenagers. It's the biggest gap in service, the biggest need for foster care. So we are trying to figure out how we can serve more and more children in foster care situations. But if you pay any attention to um, the news, there's a lot of people that don't want us doing foster care because we love Jesus and we partner with people who love Jesus. So if you have anything that you walk away from this as a prayer request, pray for God to protect us to be able to continue to do foster care here in the upstate of South Carolina. Additional to the different ministry opportunities, we have eight thrift stores, which contribute about a million and a half a year back to the ministries. And over the past three years, we've opened up two additional social enterprises, Bridgeworks, which is an employment placement service, and Creation Works, which is a landscaping company. So if you have a house and you want your grass cut, look up Creation Works. We'll come out and give you a quote. Years ago, the board asked um, or prayed over where does Miracle Hill exist? Is Miracle Hill called to the United States? Is it called to South Carolina? Is it called to the Southeast? Where is it called to? And the board felt very specific that we are called to the 10 counties of the upstate, upstate, as you see there, surrounded in yellow. Now, we believe that we want each one of those counties to have adequate services for individuals, children, and adults who are struggling with homelessness. That doesn't mean that Miracle Hill has to have a facility in each one of those counties. It means that we're going to have facilities in some. You'll see up there the four asterisks. And in the others, we're going to support like-minded ministries that exist in those counties. We're going to help them to offer the most comprehensive services that they can in Jesus' name. Here are our outcomes for last year. So we served a little over 3,000 individuals. That means 3,000 individuals spent the night with us uh, for a total of about 350,000 meals served, 81 commitments for Christ, which is probably the most important number on the screen. Um, and then my favorite number is the 110,000 times a bed was occupied by somebody in need of help. Um, down there on the right, overcomers, is the amount of graduates that we had last year. Uh, you guys have seen people leaving a lot here lately, yes? People check in and then they check out. So that number has gone down a little bit over years past. We used to average about 125 graduates. Do you know who changes how many graduates we have? You guys do. 
how much you decide to love each other, to encourage each other, to band together as brothers through, a, through the battle, to, uh, to love on each other when you feel like going rabbit, because everybody thinks about leaving. Can I get an amen, overcomers? It's a struggle to stay, and you guys can help that. You can help your brothers make different decisions because those decisions are often made at night and on the weekends when there's not a lot of staff members around, right? Right. All right. Our unofficial motto is if you can't find a friend in the world, you can find one here. If you see the sign in the bottom, how many of you have seen somebody carrying a sign similar to that over the past week in Greenville. What should you do? What are you supposed to do? Now remember, you're, you're a representative of Jesus Christ. What would Jesus have you do to that person with that sign? Give them something Okay. What do you guys think? So that's the young guys. What should you do? Huh? Helpful resources like their gold yell or give them like a packet or um, some like toothbrush, toothpaste, encourage them to come to church. Okay. You guys? Yeah. Engage them in relationship is the answer. Okay? Now that is not always safe. Right? So if you ladies are driving down the road by yourself, don't stop and get out and walk up. But if it is safe, the answer is to engage in relationship. Fill the need, not the greed. So what I would suggest is you stop, ask them how you can pray for them, and say, hey, if you're hungry, Let's go right over here to the McDonald's. I'll buy you something to eat. And we can sit down and talk. And then you do exactly um, what was suggested. You, you uh, offer services. You point them in the right direction. You invite them to church. You engage them in relationship because that's what Jesus would do. He would engage them in relationship and try to fill the need. Now, I do this. I, I am a uh, um, uh, homeless person's worst nightmare. Okay, they hold the sign up, and I'm, man, I'm there. Let's talk. Let's chat. Let's go over here and get something to eat. And six times out of ten, they're going to tell you what? I'm not hungry. I don't want anything. Uh, oh, actually, I, I need to save some money so I can get my uh, girlfriend something to eat or whatever the story is. And then you don't do anything. But you attempt to fill the need, not the greed. We start all of our thinking from the, uh, the medical thinking. We don't want to harm anybody's life. There's two books that, um, that I would suggest you read if you're interested in poverty alleviation ministry. Uh, the first is called Toxic Charity. It's a great book. Uh, and the second one's called When Helping Hurts. And so I'm quoting some of the things in the book here. I've got till when, Travis? Till seven? Okay. From the idea of not doing any harm, 
Here's a quote. When we do for those in need what they have the capacity to do for themselves, we disempower them. Giving to those in need what they could be gaining from their own initiative may well be the kindest way to destroy people. I'm going to move and I'm going to move to a couple more quotes and then I'm going to stop. This is also from that book. Give once and you elicit appreciation. Give twice and you create anticipation. Give three times and you create expectation. Give four times and it becomes entitlement. Give five times and you establish dependency. If any of you go up to Tennessee next weekend to go to Cade's Cove, all right, that's where everybody drives to go see the, the bears. Okay? When you drive into the park, there'll be a big sign on the right-hand side of the road. What's that sign say? Don't feed the bears. Don't feed the bears. Why should you not feed the bears? Because of this principle, they become dependent on it. The really sad part is that giving to the bears comes from what we're going to talk about here. One of the biggest problems in many poverty alleviation efforts is that their design and implementation exacerbates the poverty of being of the economically rich, their God complexes, and the poverty of being of the economically poor, their feelings of inferiority and shame. Just for a minute, I want, to, I want you to put yourself in your mind on the side of the road with that sign. What do you think that person is feeling? Embarrassed? Shame? Scared? Fear? Hmm? Maybe they feel hopeful. They don't want to be there. It dawned on me uh, several years ago that nobody wants to be in a Miracle Hill shelter or a Miracle Hill addiction recovery program. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to go to the homeless shelter. I can't wait to check into rehab. Now, maybe life gets bad enough that you have that thought, right? I want something different. So I'm going to go somewhere different and try to get something different. But everybody on the side of the road, they don't want to be there, but they're stuck. Now, they may be stuck from their own choices. They may be stuck from circumstances. But when we just try to fix that by doing for somebody else, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. It is God's job to change someone's life. What has he asked us to do? He's asked us to come alongside people, engage them in relationship, help them to make better decisions, help them to get to services, help them to, um, to have different choices so that they can get different results, but not doing it for them. When we do it for them, we become God. We step into his shoes. We think that it's our responsibility to fix people. It's never our responsibility to fix people. It's our responsibility to love people. And loving people looks different. Here's some things that I know about loving people who are experiencing hard circumstances. It's inconvenient. 
It's messy. It's ugly. It's hard. Isn't that right, Tigner? Tigner's been a mentor for a million years. It's not easy, is it, Tig? Not always. Not always. In a book by Tim Keller called Ministries of Mercy, he lays out uh, the philosophical ideas behind why people find themselves um, experiencing poverty or addiction or brokenness. And he puts it right along the lines of the political spectrum. He says one side of the political spectrum says that people are broken because systems are broken. The other side of the political spectrum says that people are broken because they make bad choices for their life. At Miracle Hill, we would agree with Tim Keller that the answer is yes. It is a combination of those two ideas. There are certainly personal choices that lead to brokenness. But once you find yourself in a broken situation, there are all kinds of systems that are tore up in a person's life. Once you find yourself in a poverty situation, poverty has tentacles that go into every part of your life. Finances, relationship, health, transportation, pick an issue. You know, um, I've heard many, many times somebody say, well, if they would just go get a job, their life would be okay. Well, how are you supposed to get a job when you don't have anywhere to live? Or maybe you do have somewhere to live, but you got no, no, no way to get there. You got no transportation. Or maybe you do have transportation, but you've also got medical appointments all the time. They don't set medical appointments for people when they work a nine to five job and they can't miss a day. You know, one of the things that grieved my spirit in 2020, when they shut the schools down, and I completely understand why they did it. Think about every single working parent in the United States. What were they supposed to do? Can't afford to put your kids somewhere that costs a ton of money. So what did they do? All the kids that were in the classroom wound up in Grandma Smith's house. They just repeated the group somewhere else because there were zero other choices. Poverty gets into every part of your life. But that being said, you've got to make good choices to get yourself out of it. What does God have to say about all this? The first thing he says is that we're all made in the image of God. The second thing he says is that we were all built for work and purpose. I can tell you as somebody who has lived in rescue missions and in addiction recovery programs, some of the most talented people in the world are probably in the Overcomer Center right this second. They may be here in this room. They're just struggling to find their purpose. A job's a job. A job is a way to provide money. But we were all built for a purpose or we wouldn't be here left on planet Earth. By the fact that we're pulling breath, that means that God's not done with us yet. 
Here's a couple more quotes from that book, When Helping Hurts. To the extent the poor are enabled to participate in the system intended to serve them, their self-worth is enhanced. Now, the only thing I don't like about that, um, I don't like the idea of self, self-esteem or self-worth. I think it should be Christ-esteem and Christ-worth, but I get the point. Little affirms human dignity more than honest work. One of the surest ways to destroy self-worth is subsidizing the idleness of able-bodied people. Work is a gift, a calling, and a human responsibility. The poor, no matter how destitute, have enormous untapped capacity. Find it, be inspired by it, and build upon it. I read an article yesterday You guys remember the show Extreme Home Makeover, where they went in and they gave people's uh, houses and then renovated it and just made it these beautiful houses? Like, the outcomes from that show are abysmal. Terrible outcomes, because they gave people something they didn't need, maybe they thought they needed, um, but most of those people wound up back in the same living situation that they found themselves in to begin with very, very quickly. All right. The butterfly dilemma. Here is a uh, physical science fact for you. If we had a butterfly right now, or actually a caterpillar, and a caterpillar was in his cocoon, and he had waited the whole time, and he was a fully formed butterfly within that cocoon, and he was supposed to exit that cocoon today. Okay, so he's ready to leave. If I take an X-Acto knife and I cut open that cocoon to release the butterfly, the butterfly will fall to the ground and die. The reason is the butterfly gets all the strength that it needs to fly from the struggle to exit the cocoon. All that wing strength comes from trying to get out of that cocoon. So what are we doing with most of our poverty alleviation efforts as a church is we're cutting open people's cocoons. That's not what we should be doing. We should be coming alongside them as they figure out how to exit the cocoon, when to exit the cocoon, what they need to exit the cocoon. People persist in destructive behaviors as long as they feel the benefit outweighs the cost. You can't know any more about the other person than you're willing to know about yourself. Be, re- be honest regarding your own issues. You can't take another person any further than you are willing to go yourself. Get additional support as needed to work on your issues. I'm not going to read the rest. The point is, those are all about building relationship. But you can't take anybody any further than you yourself are. So I've seen over the years thousands of mentors agree to be mentors, to come alongside men who are exiting overcomers or women who are exiting uh, renewal. And they are super challenged because if these guys get to graduation day, they are going to be machines. They're going to be so devoted to their prayer time and their scripture reading time, and they're going to be open and honest about their issues. And mentors get face to face with them, and they're like, Whoa, this guy is like walking and talking and breathing discipleship. 
And it's very, very challenging if you yourself are not walking and talking and breathing discipleship. We, as a church, need to be okay with being sinners again. Man, we come to church in our best clothes and put our best face forward and rarely talk about the brokenness in our lives. The areas that we're sinning, the areas that we're struggling, when that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do, to talk to each other about our issues, to pray with each other about our issues. We certainly can't help each other or help the guy with the sign on the corner if we ourselves are not engaged in healthy Christian relationship with each other. Man, that's a hard truth. Relationship is key. There's no simple or immediate way to discern the right response without a relationship. You'll never know what that guy on the street corner needs if you don't know the guy on the street corner. Authentic relationship with those in need, those in need have a way of correcting the we will rescue you mindset and replacing it with mutual admiration and respect. Notice that Jesus walked around with people. He wasn't sitting in an ivory tower. He was engaging in constant relationship. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to fast forward through some of this and get to right here. All right, so what does that mean for all of us? The first thing that we've got to know is who we are in Christ and what God has called you to do and how God has called you to interact and act um, as a Christ follower. So, you know, there's a, a thousand ways you can serve here at Rocky Creek. There's a thousand and one ways you can serve outside of Rocky Creek. I'm not here to tell you, nor is Travis, how you should serve. Certainly, I would tell you that you need to serve. The person who needs to tell you how to serve is Jesus. You can't figure that out if you don't know who you are and your relationship with Him. You and I have to really understand our own boundaries in life. We have to be healthy. We've got to have healthy relationships with our family and our closest friends. Every year at Miracle Hill, we pick a focal verse for the year. These guys already heard some of this. Uh, two weeks ago when I got to share at the Overcomer Center. This year, our focal verse is 1 Peter 4.10, um, but I just want to talk a little bit about that passage, 4, 8 through 10. So it says, uh, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All right. So right there at the beginning of verse 10, it says, as each has received a gift. The idea uh, uh, in Scripture is the word charisma. It's not the definition that we think of in the English language, but it literally means the gifts that we have in our life. Not necessarily the Holy Spirit, but certainly the clothes on our back, the, um, the material things that we have, not, uh, not loving decadence. Um, making sure that we have all the, or understand all the different ways that God has blessed our lives. On top of that, it means the way that God has gifted you as an individual, the different skills that He's gifted you. On top of that, it's the different spiritual gifts that God has given you. So as each one of us 
has received all these different gifts that we have in our life, we are to use it to serve one another as good stewards. The idea of stewardship there is that of being a house manager. So you put those kind of passages together and it means that the gifts that you have are not yours. They are on loan. You and I are required to steward them on God's behalf, manage the gifts on His behalf in serving one another, in loving one another. And then my favorite part of the verse, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, I had no idea what varied went, so I went to a bunch of different translations. The old King Jimmy calls it manifold grace. I didn't know what manifold meant. I thought manifold was something in a car, so I looked it up. So uh, varied or manifold in the Greek means many different colors. Man, I wish they would translate that in the Bible itself. As good stewards of God's many different colors of grace. Each one of the gifts that we have is God's grace. He's given us all this grace in our lives, our physical abilities, the resources that we have, the skills we have, the spiritual gifts that we have. Those are all God's grace in our life that we then get to pour out on others. So as you and I think about the way that God's called us in our lives, I certainly would say that we would love for you to share your time, talents, and treasures at Miracle Hill, but... More importantly, you've got to serve, use your time, talents, and treasures the way that God has asked you to serve your time, talents, and treasures. I've got a lot of friends that um, I'm very careful in the conversations with, but that go to church on Sunday, and that's about it. I think a lot of Christians fall into that. Go to church on Sunday... And that's about it. They dust their Bible off on Sunday morning. They get home. It goes back on the shelf. And then comes Sunday morning. They dust that sucker off again. And they go in there and they uh, talk about how good Jesus is and how good work is or how evil some political person is. When God's real clear to us, that He's given us all these amazing gifts that He's entrusted to us on, our, on His behalf <clears throat> to use to serve each other. That means serving each other here in the church first and then serving the world. At Rocky Creek, we define that with Acts 1.8, which says we go where first? Then? Then? Right, you guys know the verse, right? I like the idea of it's kind of a, a, a radar blip that goes out. God wants us to serve close to us, then further out, but certainly He gets to determine where you fit into that paradigm. At Miracle Hill, we are blessed to get to share Jesus with people every single day, right? It is the coolest job in the world. Somebody pays me money to watch Jesus at work every single day. Doesn't get much cooler than that. But man, I see so many of our volunteers get blessed in that same way. 
I see people here in the church get blessed in that same way as they are uh, caring for and loving for one another. At Miracle Hill, we feel very specific about the way that God has called us as a ministry to serve. And I guess I would end our time by saying, how has God called you to serve? Are you walking in the ministry that he has called you to have? Or have the weeks and the months and the years um, gone by and you find yourself warm in a pew on Sunday morning? Certainly if that's the case, man, today is a good day to make a different choice. Certainly we would love for you to come and take a tour of our facilities and see what we're doing. But I'm sure Travis has got a list of a thousand ways that you can serve um, the Lord here at Rocky Creek just right now. Thanks for joining us at the Equip Podcast. Make sure you get your notes and all of the downloads that you need to continue to be equipped for the work of the ministry. You can get all the resources for this episode or other Equip episodes at rockycreek.church.